All right, guys. So in today's video, we're going to be going into uh, an article by Michael Hudson, who's an economist. Uh, this came out in uh, March 2020 originally, and right at the beginning of the lockdowns. Um, and it, for me, I read this back then, and it was sort of like an anthem for the idea that there is not going to be a going back to normal in terms of um, economics and in finance, that that's a mathematical impossibility. And so we're going to be talking about some of the ideas underlying that concept. Um, but just to give a, a sort of summary and an overview, I would say that uh, when, when we had the great financial crisis of 2007 uh, through 2011, but concentrated in that 2007, 2008, 2009 period with the, the bailouts and um, there was that critical period where, you know, we didn't know if stuff was going to get passed and everything was going to collapse and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the kind of engineered crisis, I suppose. Um, it was interesting. I had just moved to DC when that all went down. And so I was in that, I've been in that, in that climate ever since. Uh, and what that climate is, is a climate of nonstop bailouts. So even though the service level economy looks like it was it's the same as it was 15 years ago, the underlying fundamental structure of the economy has changed in radical ways and is continuously changing all the time. So the uh, really the global financial system has been in a state of uh, transformation uh, since this 2007-2008 period in a fundamental way. And one of the things that's happened is that um, all the private, basically the whole private system is underlied by the financial institution. And that whole system has basically been um, all the assets, uh, bad assets and bad loans uh, and debts uh, that are held by the private institutions that they made so much money uh, from during all the, the bubble years. That was all basically taken over into the public uh, responsibility and uh and you've had a non-stop culture of continuous um, bailouts and what that means is that the relationship between governance and finance and the private sector and the corporations that relationship structure is really inter wed together now in, in a sort of weird way that doesn't fit any of the typical descriptions we have about capitalism or socialism or any of these things because it's a kind of hybrid state corporate uh entity that is sort of interwoven with the national security state and, and sort of dominating all aspects of society and, uh, and people have no idea what's going on. And so Michael Hudson is one of the best at elucidating um, the, some of the underlying principles about what has happened in, their, in our financial and economic sphere. And so uh, let's get into his, uh, his article. It's called Unpayable Corporate Debt. A Brady Bond Solution for America's Economic Crisis. All right, so he begins by saying, even before the COVID-19 crisis, financial markets were in an inherently unstable condition. Years of quantitative easing into the stock, into the stock market uh, to inflate stock and bond prices uh, raised those prices far too high uh, for any normal or reasonable by any normal or reasonable historical standard. So he's basically saying we've been in, we were already in a bubble economy. Um, 
going back several decades uh, on a global level, but it's sort of fueled by the U.S. capitalist system. And that has gone into a, side of, a, a sort of like hyper state um, that's fueled by this nonstop bailout policy, which is designed to keep things artificially inflated, keep the surface level economy and society looking normal. But it's we're having these structural changes in terms of ownership, in terms of public-private uh, relationship, and um, in terms of the underlying ideas of are we a republic, are we a democracy? We're so far outside of those concepts. Um, we need to be thinking uh, more in terms of like a technocracy, uh, more in terms of a sort of uh, oligarchical concept. Um, so before going to the next section, I just want to point out that the fundamental dynamics um, that led to the 2007-2008 crisis were never resolved. And if you re will rewind back to that Occupy Wall Street era, um, if you'll remember, what happened is that you had a very fragile uh, financial system that had too much debt. It was like a bubble, right? It was too, it was ballooned with too much debt and the debt was taken on with a lot of bad loans and the bad loans were, uh, a lot of people were involved with that, but they were certainly pushed from a central, um, from the financial system. So you had a bunch of bad debts and you had a big financial system that had ballooned up and then it had gone into crisis because there was a stoppage in the payment of those debts. And because everything was so interwoven that when the debt kept, it's like a pyramid scheme, when it kept, when it stopped being able to keep blowing itself up uh, in this bubble fashion, that's when we had the emergency. And the, so it was a structural problem that requires structural solution. Of course, we had no structural solution and we just had the nonstop um, kicking the can down the road through this quantitative easing policy. So that's where we are today. So if we consider the fact that we never fixed the problems of uh, 15 years ago and we've just kicked the can down the road, um, what we didn't deal with then must inevitably be dealt with now. And so if you can imagine um, how a very fragile economic system would react back then to us when you have a global economy shut down and entire industries be completely destroyed where is the giant financial crash where is the crisis obviously something's amiss here and so what's amiss is the fact that we no longer have the type of uh, economic and uh, state governance relationship that is uh, believed by the majority of people. So people believe that things work one way, but in reality they work a very different way. So we're going to be going, uh, touching just a little bit on what is so different about the reality versus the perception. So let's look at this. He says, the Fed's quantitative easing since 2008, plus the dynamic of large companies using their earnings for stock buybacks, drove the prices of financial assets into a realm of unreality. That means it's a bubble economy. And the markets were already teetering on the brink of fragility. Um, so any external shock to a system in this fragile state was going to be a disaster. It's bound to crash the artificially inflated values at which the financial markets were priced. And so the official government policy 
the Fed not being officially a part of our government, but as part of our governance. So the governance policy was to perpetuate this situation for as long as possible by pumping in yet more credit. So that was a coordinated um, state, national security, and financial uh, access to make this possible because everybody has to play their part. So this is not something that you can just blame on corporations. This is now our official governance policy. You'll note that it's not actually le lawful or legal uh, according to the Constitution. So we're in a strange state in terms of what's actually lawful and what's uh, constitutional and those things because we're kind of outside of uh, the idea that uh, people in power are respecting those um, documents. He notes that the reality of the situation requires that ultimately what can't be paid won't be paid. So if you have a bubble that's based on bad debt that's been inflated up beyond all reason, um, you know, you can attempt to keep that artificial situation alive for as long as the, you know, is feasible for these people to keep doing this. But if something is, is a bubble, by definition, there's an artificiality to it. So the idea is that what's artificial is not going to just become magically real if we just will it enough. So inevitably, what's artificial will be shown to be artificial because the natural and the real will assert the, their reality over the unreality of the artificial. So there's an inevitable thing here where a bursting of a bubble, a collapse of a system... Um, must inevitably play out in some form. In the same way, like in California, if you, if a dry brush naturally needs to burn every so often, um, then it naturally needs to burn every so often. And and though we may say I like to live there uh, in a, in that region, I would like to build a house there. So it's not necessary for nature to burn anymore because we we humans we're occupying this region now. So we we'll, we'll take over. Thank you. Um, nature is still going to say, no, I'm going to go ahead and burn. Like you can, you can keep it artificially uh, as you willed it to be for a certain amount of time, but what is artificial must inevitably um, succumb to nature. So this is what uh, must inevitably happen for us in our uh, global economic and financial system. And so this idea, this fantasy of a normality, going back to normal, I mean, technically we haven't been in normal for a very long time. Um, I'm 35. My whole adult life has not been in normal because I joined the labor market um, in my early 20s during the period of this situation starting. And so my whole economic career has been in this bubble situation. And I knew it back then when I, I learned it because I lived in D.C. and I was in grad school studying uh, business and economics and organizations and strategy. And I was learning all these things about the economy. And I was actually studying Michael Hudson back then. Because he was one of the few people who wrote uh, that I could find. I'm sure there's many, but he was in Harper's Magazine. He wrote an article before the financial crash even happened saying that it would happen. And then it did happen. And all these people who were experts were saying nobody saw it happen. And I was saying, no, you're, that's not true because I'm looking with my own eyes. I'm seeing the date on these documents. And they are saying what happened, uh, what would happen with a, a financial bubble and a burst. And it did come true. So... Uh, to say that nobody saw it and it was a big mistake was obviously um, a falsity. It was a not true statement. And so I decided I wasn't going to trust people who were saying things that weren't obviously true to me. 
I started looking more into people who were saying things that were truthful, and so here we are. Um, he's saying that the current crisis requires a write-down, and fictitious price levels must give way to reality at some point. Like we were saying, what's artificial cannot be substituted for reality just because we might will it to be. He says, we have reached the end of an illusion, the illusion that bond and stock prices could be sustained indefinitely simply by financial engineering without an economic base capable of producing enough surplus revenue to justify existing uh, stock prices and bond prices. Um, and, and, and sort of the unreality of the situation is that all the people who participate in this unreality have such uh, an extreme amount of wealth concentrated into them uh, by nature of the fact that they're participating in this bubble, but it's a financially, uh, the, the, it's driven by the financial system. And the, the sort of mainstream economy, like uh, I worked in restaurants for a long time. And uh, so people like that uh, aren't really participating in the financial system directly. So we're in the sort of uh, real economy, quote unquote. And that's become completely detached uh, from the uh, financial economy. So if you're participating in the Wall Street system and that sort of massive asset, asset price inflation that um, Dr. Hudson's talking about, you are somebody who's reaping the rewards of, or yeah, reaping the rewards of this um, extraction that's happening to the rest of society. And everybody else in the rest of society who's not participating in that is just trying to navigate and stay alive because the money is being diverted and the resources um, and basically the life-giving energy of our society is being diverted from the body to this central sort of like parasite system. And the parasite system is really sucking the life uh, out of our world in a, in a quite literal way. And so he's kind of giving us now a, uh, in this next sentence, I think the, the key theme, he says, so attractive was, was this bubble situation to all the people who participated in it. These unrealistic bond and stock levels that people, everybody who's participating in the market is still in the denial phase about what's happening. So people are trying to run and maximize their dollar-denominated wealth and assets, not realizing that the dollar system is inherently unstable and must be replaced by something else. So he says that this whole situation is merely um, postponing the inevitable adjustment um, to bring asset prices back in line with real economic capabilities. So he's saying we're just postponing the inevitable um, realization of that there is a reality and to not participate in reality for such a long period of time is going to inevitably have consequences. And so the leadership of our, um, not just our, not our country, because it's not really governed as a country, it's governed as a sort of international corporate conglomerate. And the, uh, th that group is um, just de delaying the inevitable and or setting up a golden parachute for itself, uh, which I think will fail. So he says, to continue on this theme, the Federal Reserve's long quantitative easing and support of the financial markets has provided the appearance of stability. This artificial life support has been viewed as saving banks and large companies and pension funds and state and local finance from insolvency. So that's the point of the bailouts is that things would, the brush would burn, so to speak, uh, in terms of uh, feeling the pain of uh, wrongful action. That sort of karma would be coming coming forth except for uh a sort of national security situation demands that um that this 
not happen and that the stability be uh, artificially produced. And, uh, but like he's pointing out, this is a, inevitably a losing battle against reality. And uh, it's been supported by the Fed and our governance, whole governance structure. But these illusory, illusory values cannot be sustained. So just by nature of the mathematics, by nature of the reality, the resource lim constraints and limitations, um, it is impossible for us to go back to normal. Um, so we are in the denial stage. Our society is in denial. It's in illusion, and that illusion has been one of the um, instigators of this whole problem because if people weren't in denial and weren't in illusion about the situation there would be no justification for doing what we've done and these asked so where is this supposed to end the fed could buy up all the bonds uh so that's kind of what it's doing the, with the bailouts it assumes these assets so it takes on all these assets uh, as a way to prevent their prices from falling as we were discussing for national security reasons so at an extreme this business as usual scenario, scenario would lead to the Fed owning the junk bond market, the municipal bonds, and a large swap of the stock market. So that's interesting. This actually seems like the pretty classic move of uh, finance capitalism, which is expand, contract, and consolidate. Um, so in the boom time, you make credit easy and you boom it up, and then you withdraw the credit, so you contract. And then you consolidate because all the people who become insolvent, you have their assets. Uh, it's important to remember that every time we hear about a depression, it depends on perspective. The majority of the people experience a, a depression, but there's always the yin and the yang uh, situation where um, there will be some people who have their boom time during that depression. And those are the people who are consolidating. And so he points out that when you have this centralization happen, Ultimately, the opposite could take place from what it appears because it seems like we're going into a realm of nonstop uh, privatization. But he's saying because all these private entities are ultimately uh, part of a fictitious system who's entirely controlled by the Fed and the sort of national security structure underlying uh, that whole system, that with this level of concentration and debt, the Fed, he writes that the Fed would then have a free hand to do kind of what it wants uh, in terms of how it decides to resolve the situation. And his um, approach, which he's written out uh, through a number of his books, is to re-embrace the concept of the Jubilee, which is the great debt write-off, which has a long um, history uh, within human civilization going back thousands of years and is a very important uh, institutional innovation to prevent uh, sort of social collapse in the state of a type of financial bubble like this. And, uh, and his, in his history work, like if you read some of his books um, and his historical work, he, he shows how these sort of boom and bust and consolidation cycles have driven human history for thousands of years in human civilization. And so there has been techniques and ta tactics developed uh, since the time of like Hammurabi uh, in terms of how to deal with these type of uh, endemic um, social issues. 
So those are the main points I wanted to point out. Uh, the article does go on a little bit more and it gives a nice um, case study uh, paralleling our current situation with the previous uh, third world debt crisis and some of the ways that it was resolved back then. But my feeling is that, uh, or one of the issues that Michael Hudson doesn't take into account is the whole um, concept that uh, the national security state uh, may be engineering this. To give my interpretation, I feel like this system is being engineered uh, in a way to set up a new um, institutional governance regime built around the coming out of breakthrough energy. And so what we're seeing in the, is this massive consolidation uh, globally in advance of a, a new sort of post-nation state, post-corporation, uh, post-scarcity and limit, uh, resource scarcity and limitation environment. So um, it's clear to me that uh, at least since the late 1800s, there has been knowledge, since the time of Tesla, there's been knowledge of uh, what a lot of people call breakthrough energy. It's really either science. It's the tra traditional um, understanding of alchemy. So there's just just re rediscovering alchemy and either being the fifth element. And so it's sort of an alchemy based model of science uh, is what has been protected uh, by all this facade of fake science through all these years. And this sort of trend of materialism is, is a mask um, that masks what's happening uh, in terms of these underlying dynamics about breakthrough energy and the need to create a global governance system uh, that can ensure uh, the international security against the abuse of these kinds of technologies. So that doesn't mean I'm justifying what we are seeing, how, what we have seen happen by any of the sort of financial and corporate power players, because I think that that's the group that uh, the inner recesses of the national security state who is doing the, the sort of deep state or Mr. Global or uh, secret space program group that I've tracked in my various documentaries. That group is playing hide and seek with this technology with a sort of uh, aristocratic new money class, which dominates much of our uh, global international affairs, like the Rockefeller type situations. Um, I don't believe that those people are the true powers, uh, even though their name is on, on all the major uh, places that uh, have very uh, significance in our world in terms of major corporations and sort of institutional shapers. But uh, I think behind that group and, and, per, and perhaps hidden from them to, to a large degree is the, uh, is the breakthrough energy, but also uh, the alchemy and all the spiritual realities that underpin that. Um, that has always been in human society, the most, uh, the highest caste is also the one that's least publicly as that's most veiled from the public awareness because it's the, it's the sacerdotal caste. It's the, it's the, uh, religious, the true religious, like priesthood of, of mankind that is the custodian of, um, the sacred esoteric knowledge. So the casteism has never changed since the beginning, even though we think we may live in a modern age that has overcome uh, the structures of the sort of pre-Christian world. Um, that's not at all true. The, the actual caste of humanity, the caste structure is, uh, and, and by caste I'm saying C-A-S-T-E, the caste, like the Indian caste system. The caste structure of mankind is one that is um, religious and spiritual and at the, uh, 
the, the innermost recesses is the small group of priesthood uh, who oversee the sacred knowledge and then the outermost caste is the public so that's the esoteric exoteric divide and then there's great gradations in between that but I truly believe uh, the archetype is, is playing out in the same way it always has in, in which uh, in a sort of dark age the the knowledge is hidden uh, from the the sort of caste that's underneath the highest level of priesthood uh, so the sort of aristocratic class or the warrior class and in the good times that serves the priesthood and in the bad times that uh, caste or that class attempts to rule on its own and when that happens the priesthood goes sub rosa and uh, and we have this sort of uh, grail quest uh, that's combined uh, a pursuit of knowledge with the pursuit of power by this second tier caste, this uh, warrior class or the aristocratic class. And so this new money sort of Rockefeller Gates group that appears to control the world, uh, clearly to me that is the, uh, the aristocratic class uh, who the true knowledge has been concealed from. And uh, in my personal opinion, when we inevitably have the um, coming of the, the true alchemy, the true science, uh, and, and the global civilization that um, is going to support that coming out, uh, that all these other people are going to be exposed for what they are, uh, which are a sort of like materialistic cult, which has gone way too far with things. So um, that's only my opinion. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the video. Um, just the main thing I wanted to really point out is that the idea that we can go back to normal is an impossibility from an economic standpoint. And uh, we should also just consider the fact that we haven't really been in normal for a very long time. And uh, there is no stability to this situation that we're in. So everybody who's just wishing that they could just get the, uh, get the jab, everybody gets the jab, we just kill this rona thing and we're going back to you know our plans that we had before and all the things that we thought that we were going to be doing in that old paradigm it's just not going to happen it's an it's literally an impossibility and so like he was saying we're in the illusion stage we are in the denial stage as a collective and to me it's that illusion and denial which is the source of all the shadow projection of the uh, unvaxxed uh, anti-vaxxers and, and stuff like that uh, for me all the people who are most obsessed with that concept are the ones who are most in denial or most in delusion about the reality of the social uh, situation that we're actually in so anyway this is my perspective I hope you enjoyed the video um, I have uh, Another video I'm going to do as a part two of this that I'm going to extract some of the clips I have uh, from Michael Hudson where he gives his whole paradigm or his whole teaching about the bubble economy and the underlying dynamics of it. Um, I originally cut this together as part of my um, docuseries called The Deep State. Um, so I'm going to extract that material and, and have that as a, um, a second clip. So that'll be coming after this. But thank you very much for watching and uh, stay tuned. Thank you very much.